Hello, Alex Horn here, the voice of Truesdale. This is just to say that the following live show and interview were recorded on site in a theatre and van, respectively. Therefore, the sound quality is a little rough around the edges, but the content is still really, really good. Right, so we're in Bluebell. It's me and myself, the lovely Kitto Madrell. We're about to play the live recording that you performed mm. with your Truesdale crew mm. at uh, Spoken Like Prose at the Poly in February 2018. Mm. Um, Spoken Like Prose was a sort of literary variety show that was put together and performed by regular contributors to the Spokes Open Mic night that's been mm. running in Penryn since September 2015. Three years. Three years. Yeah. There's a lot of crossover then between mm. the people in Spokes and the, the people in Truesdale, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There's an awful lot. I mean, um, you run Spokes and you mm. uh, have acted in Truesdale and provided the music. I think, in all honesty, Spokes gave me a lot of the connections that have now formed Truesdale and provided me with a platform to experiment with my voice, which I then found. And having that confidence for me myself to perform on stage gave me a confidence to think that my writing might actually be a bit good too. Okay, so I would like to have you give me an explanation of the scene we're about to hear. Okay. So what, what you're about to hear is a script entitled The Five Satsumas, and it's a short ten-minute minisode, mini-episode, that's performed on stage to about 150 people in Falmouth at the Poly Theatre with Alex Horn um, playing Truesdale, as he always does. Um, Eli, who plays Scott in the series, was un unavailable, but we were really lucky to be able to get Alfie Brown, who'd um, previously auditioned for Scott to step in and play the part of him on stage. And yeah, it's a, it's a ten-minute episode that you asked me to write specifically for the evening. And the episode is called... The Five Satsumas, again. So here we are, it's Truesdale and the Five Satsumas. And next on is Truesdale. again. Are you enjoying yourselves? Yeah. Brilliant. The more astute amongst your number will notice I'm not wearing a coat. That's what I like to call character development. <clears throat> Truesdale is a podcast I've been writing for about a year now, 300 pages, 76,000 words and 52 as well. Not that I'm counting. It's... Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Ben. It's a marine biology comedy based on the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. It, 
It can. Trust me, we have. It has been done many a late night by me <laughs> on a laptop. <laughs> that sounds so dodgy. <laughs> but yeah, it's a marine biology comedy based on the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The adventures of Dr. Mike Truesdale, a marine biologist, and his intern, Scott Hopkins. Now, as I said, they are based on the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. This one is a special episode written for tonight for you and you alone and also the internet afterwards. <laughs> it's based on the adventure of the five orange pips and is inventively titled The Five Satsumas. If you want to move up. I mean, I think you can. Do you want to? Well, you have. Someone recording this, just checking. Yeah, yeah, no, we checked, I checked with Paul in the break. Oh, great. Yeah, no. So this is all on record? Yeah, I do my job. Shit. <laughs> uh, so I will be reading the sound, Alex will be reading Truesdale, and Alfie kindly stepped in for Scott today. <laughs> Woo, Alfie! Yeah, boy! <clears throat> the five Satsumas, scene one. Sound, howling winds, the creaking of the earl, our hero's small ship. Outside, thunder crashes. Tick-cack-cack-cack-cack. Then, the click of a dictaphone. It was a simple case. Black and orange. An innocent bag of satsumas taken before their time. But there was still some mystery. Actually, quite a lot. Was it a heist? Murder? Or some devilish con? I realised this case wasn't as simple as it had first appeared. Maybe, just maybe, it was going to be hard. The dictaphone is turned off. What are you up to, Doc? Truesdale lights a cigarette and downs a shot. Me? Uh, just waiting to see what turns up. Uh, but lo and or behold... A suspect emerging from the shadows. Are you, are you talking to me or around me? He had legs. <laughs> legs connecting to feet. <laughs> the kind of feet which could be used by said legs to walk around. <laughs> around to where the Satsumas were. Am I meant to respond or...? I can smell their metaphorical blood on you, Scott. He slams the table, a glass jingles, reminding us all we will one day die. Where are they? Or did you do away with all five? You love to eat in bed. Are they there? I have a doctorate, Scott. That was the first place I checked. C calm down, they're just Satsumas, Doc. Just Satsumas. They're seedless wonders, Scott. Their delicate flesh allows them to be peeled easier than other fruit. Their juice is more vibrant than orange, more pleasing to the eye. Just a fruit. Is diamond just carbon? I mean, it is just carbon. Where are they, Scott? I don't know! Are you sure you didn't eat them? Oh, oh, oh trying to trick me. Muddy the waters, cast doubts and dispersions. I'm just saying I didn't eat them. I haven't eaten your food since the hummus incident, okay? Aha, uh -huh. a prior record. 
fallen on hard times, desperate for sweet, sweet satsumas. You broke a sacred bond. No. The click of a dictaphone. I hear the word no ring in my head, largely because that's how hearing works. <laughs> I examine my suspect. His lips said no, and his eyes, not to mention the words, but could his, could his lips, eyes, and words be lying? I mean, no. Give me the scoop, Scott. Who did this? I ain't no rap. Anyway, it's just, it's only us on the boat. Aha! So you admit it. You must be bored out of your mind, Doc. Maybe a trip down to the old den of iniquity that is Chinatown will help jog your memory. A cupboard is opened. Here, the innocent Satsumas lived, peacefully, unlike their trollish neighbour, the Scot, who was a troll. So, in this analogy, is the cupboard Chinatown? Shut up. Poor Satsumas. They did nothing to hurt you. All they wanted was your love and respect, and to eventually be eaten by me, not you. I didn't eat them. Well, who did then? Did aliens abduct my satsumas for their life-giving juices and thirst-quenching ways? If it was aliens, it would be the greys. The reptilians got shit to do. Too busy ruling the world. Throw away your red herring, Scott. I know aliens didn't steal my satsumas. Well, maybe the alt-right did. Come again? Is that a band? It sounds like a band. It's a movement of largely white supremacists. Basically rebranding. I mean, it worked. Steve Bannon got in the white... Are you soapboxing? I'm having a conversation with you. Yeah, it sounds like you're soapboxing. You do it all the time! Yeah, but it's natural when I do it. I I'm old and wise. You're young and an intern. It doesn't suit you. You know it's part of having a conversation. I put up with your cheesy noir parody and you listen to my rant. Fine. It's just they've stolen so many good memes. I can barely remember when Pepe wasn't racist. You're just saying words now. They have no meaning. They say they don't harm anyone, but they do. I mean, just look at Clover Gender. Clover what? Clover Gender. It was a fake identity created in 2016 on 4chan. They, bas they basically took pedophiles and made fake adverts rebranding them as Clover Gender. They were mocking trans people. Some people still think it's a real thing and associate us with it. Right, interesting. Educational meme-based tangent aside, I'm going back to my investigation. I'm trying to rant at you! It's just not natural. A good rant needs a run-up. Uh, you can't just be angry at something. You have to stew for months until something, someone says an offhand comment. Then you let rip. That's being unhealthy, Doc. Healthy, schmelthy. That worked better in my head, actually. Sound the click of a dictaphone. I lied. Cunningly. Like a snake with the ability to speak the human tongue. You're a marine biologist, Doc, not a PI. I smoke and drink like one. Having the alcoholism, is, alcoholism down is not a good thing. Hey, I, I don't have a problem with drink. Uh, if anything, we get on too well. I've been meaning to talk to you about the smoking too. You do realize it's illegal to smoke in public in the Philippines? See, I'm an outlaw. Can't get more morally gray and anti-hero than that. It's grey in the sense that it's not a law in most places. Still illegal. Exactly! You could get four months in prison for it. Fuck me. That's a lot just for smoking. Yeah, even vaping. I mean, it makes sense for vaping. <laughs> uh, I may limit smoking to on deck at sea and in private, though. Good idea. Still almost illegal, so I'm basically an outlaw. 
Yeah, but you haven't been hired by anyone. You've hired yourself. I stumbled onto the crime and felt a moral imperative to get justice for the Satsumas. You wanted to eat your Satsumas. Not exactly a moral calling, more like a personal history with the victim. You're right, there was a history there, a duty. Maybe someone else with a history with food ate them. What about you, Scott? Do you have a history of eating food? <laughs> Do I have a history of eating food? What if I say no? Ha! Everyone eats. Now that I have proven that you are a liar, I can extrapolate that you lied about not eating the satsumas. You owe me five, Scott. It was the alt-right. Are you still on the alt-right thing? Maybe they took the satsumas as a sign, like how the KKK used to threaten people with orange pips. That was not a thing. It was. They sent them as death threats, left secret messages on sundials too. Read it in a book. That's dumb. What are you... Uh, what are you doing? Uh, I'm brooding. Brooding doesn't come with sound effects, Doc. Don't apply your system to me. I'm outside the system. I fight against the corruption of the city. Maybe pick up your clothes at the same time, Batman? Hmm. Clothes. Sound. The click of a dictaphone. My clothes. Laid out how I like my women. Crumpled and on the floor. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Okay, 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 okay. Ignore that. That did not work. Well, it's, it's really easy to slip into disparaging comments about women with the whole noir thing. It's because they're monochrome and filled with dames, not women. They're all femme fatales and vamps. What noir have you been watching? Not literal vampires. Vampires in a sexy woman who undermines upright men with their wounded gambits. And they tend to get shot because the old most writers are men chestnut. I love noir, but it's pretty male-centric. Hey, it's still a good genre. Uh, who doesn't like corrupt cups and Venetian blinds? It's been done to death a fair amount, though. How dare you! I will never tire of fedoras, sweat, and dead-end streets. <laughs> Those were the sweaty fedoras and alleys of my childhood. <laughs> Big sleep. More like the best sleep, am I right? Not really. Yeah, well, you wouldn't like it. You committed the crime. I've been wrongly accused. Maybe, or you're trying to double-cross me. That's another problem. The plots are so convoluted that the main character has to constantly narrate everything. It gives character. Are you going to take away the deep shadow? Are you insane? It could be set in the sunlight. Brick is. Brick. Great film. My favourite performance by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Another thing, does everyone have to have a dark and troubled past? It's part of the human condition. But they don't all have to be shell-shocked war veterans or former cops. What about a noir not set in a city? Can't be done. What about hillbilly noir? Hillbilly noir? That is not a thing. It is in books. Above the waterfall, burn what will burn. Hold on. Benedictine monks burn stuff in fires at Easter. It was Easter not long ago. It's April now. Did you steal my satsumas as an April Fool's? April Fool's was days ago. Yeah, but who does it on the day? Got you now, Scott. I've deduced a motive. Honestly, them being edible was a better one. Sound. A metaphorical melancholic chord strikes up on the saddest of instruments. The oboe. My mum used to put satsumas at the bottom of our Christmas stockings growing up. I think my father would have put coal if he'd had his way. 
His face was sad and long, like a sad, long thing. Perhaps it was just the light... Are you monologuing? (laughs) You don't get to do it. I did it first. It's my gimmick. But was it his gimmick? Maybe I was crazy, but I was certainly still seemed to be able to do it. Stop that. I looked around for clues. A preliminary Sherlock scan identified two pieces of evidence. A bag and a receipt. Sound. A receipt picked up by Scott and licked. For five Satsumas. So they were real. What did the licking do? It told me it was evidence. This is no fun when you're doing it as well. I'm going to sleep. Wake me when you feel like giving them back. Sound. Truesdale walks over to his bed and pulls back the cover. There's a slight creak as he steps back. What's up? Nothing. Oh my god, the Satsumas are on your bed. You put them there and you forgot. How could you forget, Doc? All this time you're accusing me and they were there. Scott. I know you misplaced them. Thanks for proving my innocence. Scott. Yes, Doc? Please be quiet. (laughs) Sound, Truesdale lies down on the bed. Silence reigns. Hey, Doc. Yeah? Can I have a Satsuma? Yeah. (laughs) Sure. The end, thank you very much. We've come to the Eden Project, and it'll be a little bit noisy because I'm doing things while I'm talking. So I'm breaking sticks because it's March and it's quite cold outside. Mm, it is pretty cold. And I'm going to light the burner, and I'm going to make a cup of tea while we mm. have a chat. And so you've written Truesdale now, which, mm. as far as I'm aware, is the world's only. Sherlock Holmes stroke marine biology hybrid radio comedy. Yeah, I think it's pretty much covered that extreme niche. But I'll, I'll explain how um, I named Truesdale. Okay. When I was originally creating the podcast, I wanted to do it as an adaptation of the Sherlock Holmes story, on a marge or something in that vein. Yeah. And so I decided that Dr. Truesdale would be my main character. I'd have a, a marine biologist with a doctorate, and I'd make him the Watson character, but I'd make it seem at first glance... He's actually the Sherlock-esque one. Okay. So I was like, Holmes. Like, you know, like the American show House yep. had taken Holmes and turned it into House. Yep. That's already been done. Can't yep. do that. Can't do that. Nope. I didn't want to do the same like initials or stuff. So I was like, something like Holmes. Mm. And I was like, what are names that were villages or places? Like place names that are last names. Yeah. And I was stroll- um, scrolling through them and I found Truesdale, which was a place in the Doomsday Book, and that was about it. And it yeah. just had a ring to it. It just really stuck with me yeah. as being a powerful name that I had no connections with anything at all. And I thought I'd really like it I'm... if we could create a character and give people those associations. And then I wanted to give him a first name similar to John. You know, just a simple, yeah. you know, sort of unelaborate one like we had with John Watson. Yeah. So I went with Mike. Okay. And I got Dr. Mike Truesdale. Nice. And yeah. And the rest, as I say, is history hmm. or the future. Okay. That's, that's, how we, that's how I came up with, um, with Truesdale's name. Okay, so just to recap then. So your Mike Truesdale was going to be the Watson character. Yeah. And Scott was going to be the Sherlock character. Scott is the Sherlock character, mm. and Truesdale is the Watson character, despite him being the titular one. Mm. Because Truesdale 
is the way we sort of view the series and is our sort of viewpoint character. Yeah. Which is more in keeping with the home stories anyway, because yeah, Watson yeah. was the narrator. So it's a show about Truesdale to show us Scott and all this other stuff that happens in the world. Because mm. it's not necessarily about Truesdale, but he's the character through which we get to experience all these worlds because he travels through them. Yeah. He's got this sort of liminal existence that allows him to travel around the Philippines, interact with all these different characters, interact with his life back home in the UK, and allows us to have Scott and his journeys and other yeah. stuff, you know. Truesdale's kind of the vehicle for all of the narrative we want to explore, but isn't necessarily the centre point of it. Yeah, that's a good angle. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a while, funnily enough. About a year now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I remember when you first started. Hmm. I think I remember you being very excited about it when you first started. Oh, I was super excited. Hmm. Back then, I was just, I just, the, the only thing I'd done was like, hey, Greg, would you be interested in, in reading this kind of thing? Yeah. And he read it and was like, oh, it's wicked. Oh, it's great. <laughs> you know, and that, that was great. But then I didn't think much of it, submitted it to my, gave it to my um, tutor for genre form, Nick Copeland. Yeah. And she read it. And she came back to me and was like, yeah, it, it's good, but it doesn't really go anywhere, does it? Because the first episode then originally ended on um, the bits where they're talking about Truesdale's novel okay. and how it didn't kind of, it just sort of petered out and didn't have a really solid ending kind of yeah. thing. And Scott's like, you know, our oh, stories, they kind of need endings. It's like one of the three things <laughs> they do need. And then it just, and then Truesdale's like, Shut up. And then the, you've got the dolphin call and all that. Yeah. And that's that was the end of the episode. And because I was like, oh, it's, it's really sort of, it, it's all Seinfeldian conversation about nothing. It's all, it's like waiting for Godot. It's this, it's all this stuff. And I was really, really into it. And then my tutor read it and was like, oh, it kind of needs a plot. And I realised it actually did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So true, in my heart, Truesdale is still very much a show about two people chatting on a boat. But it's also got you know, some form of resolution and arc and actual storytelling in it as well now. So, I'm, I'm very proud of that because it tells stories and they sort of end up where they started a lot of the time, but there's a lot of change internally. That's my sort of main thing is that they may end up in the same starting position, but they're never the same people. And that's a, I, I get very tired of sitcom, sitcom sort of, you know, the, the idea that characters never change and you want them to be in this sort of status quo and they just keep on existing forever so you can make this many American, like, series of 24 episodes and all this. Because, I mean, change isn't change isn't healthy for sitcoms because it damages your ability to just keep making content. But I never wanted the characters to actually stay the same so I try and I try and sort of flip stuff up and change the game and sort of reveal stuff about the characters and then keep continuity continuity is a big thing for me making sure details track over from episode to episode and you know there's a few bits which I don't think quite match but on the whole there's a lot of bits from each episode before that translates over yeah that notion of characters not transforming in comedy. I mean, that's just all about being able to keep the same joke going, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I guess if the, if the characters are transforming, then mm. the writers need to come up with new jokes. Yeah. New, new scenarios for the different character, because mm. the character is morphed in some way. I mean, it's, it's why characters almost never, you know, um, are in sort of working functional relationships, because they want instead to have this will-they-won't-they 
thing with characters. And I mean, I don't have the characters in working, functioning relationships in Truesdale, but I, it doesn't rely on will they, won't they with characters or anything like that. It's just based off us learning more about them. But yeah, it's crazy the decisions that I see made in shows and you realise that they're not done for creative reasons or because they thought that would make the show a more interesting show, but they're done so it makes it more sustainable. And that's what I love about podcasting is because you're making it, it's a miracle every episode that you can make and can get out there. And so you have no thoughts of how can I keep doing this, how can I do it after I do this, what if I did this, What? how on earth do I continue the story kind of thing. It's instead just, oh my god, I got to do that, you know. But um, we'll see that near the end of um, sort of the first series, you know. Mm. I think we 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 set the formula in the first three episodes, and we have we introduce you to the idea of us having these mysteries and these characters, and how they sort of handle these things, and we reveal aspects of them. But after episode four, that's when we change the formula and we do different stuff. And episode five is completely different, and six again, like. Each episode is incredibly different from the previous one because I've just sat down and been like, what can I do now? And I've not been sort of limited to here are, here they are in the apartment, what are they going to talk about New York City today? Not to be too averse in referencing Friends there. But, you know, like... Friends has been coming up a great deal this week. It's been mentioned probably five or six times this week, I think, in reference yeah. to writing. Uh, well, it's it's it was, it was almost twenty years old now. Yeah, I think it's because it's on Netflix now, and it's oh, making this okay. resurgence of people are viewing it again. Oh, okay, and some some people are being like, oh, some of this actually is a lot more questionable than I sort of remembered. And then people on the internet are going, oh, millennials getting all angry about comedy that was made then. You know, is a part of the time. It's okay to have. Chandler, like, be whatever with his parent who's possibly... I've not watched the show, but I know his parent is either trans or a, a drag performer, you know, or a mixture of two, because you can be, you can be both, but it's something like that's handled in a... Like, people make a lot of references to Chandler being gay as a joke, and that sort of comes from his insecurity of that and other stuff. There's a lot of stuff that just, looking back, is a lot more sort of you know, awkward than it was at the time kind of thing. But the reason I prefer Truesdale is because it's a walking the earth story. It's about characters who are constantly travelling from place to place and encountering and engaging with people as they meet them. And that, as a show, isn't one that sort of comes with sitcoms because it has, it has its limitations. It has... It's a journey, and either that journey ends or, you know, and the, you know, it, yeah, journeys always end. That's that's the thing about it. And it's them travelling to place to place. And it's it's them sort of constantly having to be a part of change and movement. They're never in the same location. Every episode is them somewhere else interacting with other people. You know, we have the static UK in the phone calls. And, you know, we have plots going on in the UK as well. But Truesdale and Scott never stop. They're always in flux and movement, and that translates to the characters over the course of the six episodes of series one. You've also got the boat, though, haven't you? The boat is a mainstay mm. throughout, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 to what degree that'll be a mainstay 
between series one and series two, who knows? Yeah. I don't want to say, but yeah, yeah. even yeah. even the boat being a set part of the format where they're always on this boat every episode is something I've deliberately tried to avoid. I mean, we've got um, we've got a crossover episode um, coming um, this year with another podcast, Professor Mysterious, uh-huh. and that's set in a train station. Yeah. It's got Truesdale, but there's no boat, there's no weather, and it's in the UK. You know, yeah. I don't... I'm not limited to it just being them on the boats kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the closest thing I will have to an apartment in New York for the characters. But even that, I'm not attached to. I don't. I mean, I mean, I have episodes that are, you know, they're not, they're not as easily sort of definable as pure mystery yeah. kind of thing. I mean, there's mysteries. And I try and have mysteries in every episode. And, have all of the usual sort of formula of the Sherlock Holmes stories, yeah. but I, they're episodes I wouldn't categorise as mystery like episodes. Uh-huh. I, I say I've been really sort of. I think it's pretty easy when you've got a marine biology comedy set in the Philippines with mundane mysteries to do that genre blending because it itself isn't, you know, something that sits comfortably in genre. Yeah. So it's always going to be easy to sort of translate from episode to episode. We keep the same sort of underlying tropes and stuff. Yeah. But it'll always be something a bit different, you know? Yep. And I think that also comes from having LGBT characters and Mm. stuff like that, because they don't lend themselves to sort of normal sitcom formulas because they've not been represented. Well, I was going to say, yeah, let's let's talk about the the queer community in sitcoms. Mm. Because, as you said, as you mentioned on on a number of occasions, um, that the portrayal of Mm. any characters who aren't straight, and by straight I mean I'm sort of by by buying into sort of heterosexual conventions, or even gender stereotype, gender sort of conventions, Mm. they are almost always portrayed as comedic characters that are mm. only there and their comedy is yeah. the fact that they're not straight mm. isn't it there's yeah so with um trans characters in particular for the longest time it was either they were either used for comedy that was based off largely horror a lot of times it's a trope called the unsettling gender reveal where so, like you have a sitcom character at the bar and then he hits on someone, and then he realises that their assigned sex doesn't match their gender. You know, it's a trans woman, you know, rather than a, you know, someone who's assigned female at birth. Yeah. And that's, and you know, that, that guy in the sitcom is then horrified, and there's canned laughter in the background, so we're meant to laugh at him accidentally hitting on a trans person. Yeah. And it's it's really quite horrifying on on some level, you know. But then there are other instances where we have transgender fetishization, where we're treated as as sort of things that are sort of you know separate and other and stuff to be sort of you know it's we're almost treated as a porn category for some people, you know, stuff like that. But um. But there's there's very few stories with trans and sort of queer characters where it's where they have stories that aren't about them being trans or queer. Yeah. And it's very hard growing up as a member of those communities to 
sort of aspire to do or be things without these sort of without having the normal heroes that everyone else has. Yeah. I mean, it's why I think you know, sort of Wonder Woman and Black Panther and all these superhero films that have you know a majority female or a majority black and sort of they have these you know. I think they're doing so well because of the great lack of them, you know. And it's difficult growing up as a trans person, not being like, ah, oh, here's a trans detective solving crime, here's a trans superhero doing all this stuff. It makes you feel like you don't fit into the narrative of society and you can't achieve the same things as other people. Because, you know, boys growing up have all of these superheroes, all of these detectives, all of these characters, and, and you know... Women have some, but nowhere near as many. And trans people, we're almost, you know, we're all, we're almost non-existent. Or when we do exist, we're the butt of a joke. Or we're shown being murdered as prostitutes. That's another one that comes up a lot. So how so how are you changing that with Truesdale then? Uh, well, one of the things I did was, I di when I was writing it, I didn't write it with the characters in, you know, yeah, I'd love to. Um, in, in, I didn't write the characters and say, okay, I'm going to have a trans character, I'm going to have a pan character, I'm going to have a bi character in this episode, I'm going to have all of these. I didn't start that way. I found the characters first, and then I naturalistically decided what identities they have and how that affects the story. And instead, it's not about, it's not about you know, Scott being a trans man and struggling with gender dysphoria every episode, and it's not him you know, trying to get on testosterone or coming out to his parents or whatever. I think coming out narratives are very important, but I didn't want to do that with Scott because I wanted Scott to just be, to already have had his arc. Like, that's the thing. With Truesdale and Scott, they've both had arcs previous to the show. They've, fa they, they've had these journeys which have defined them as people, and we're seeing the, the sort of effects of that. And so it's, we don't talk about Scott being trans in the episodes until episode three. We, as the creators of the show, talk about it a lot because it's very important to us. Being the characters that, you know, he, him pronouns are used all the time and it's not until episode three that, you know, someone has to be sort of corrected and they, we talk about him as a trans character. Yeah, we, we live in a world of binaries when binaries don't even exist, you know, like biological sex isn't a one or zero. There's, you know, a whole spectrum of biological, you know, intersex people, let alone before we get to gender and all that other stuff. But that's the thing, yeah, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be important, but it is. And so I wanted to treat it in a way where it's not a question, it's not, it's not a problem, it's not a difficult thing. Scott is male and those are the pronouns used for him, he, him, and is not brought up. But I had to bring it up in the context of the show at some point because it's you, you can't do queer characters without touching on queer issues to some degree, and it's good to be explicit. I didn't. I wanted to be. You know, I'm proud of the fact that Scott is trans. So I wanted it to be an episode, hmm. but I wanted us to have two episodes of mysteries and other stuff before we touch hmm. upon that, because it shouldn't be the first and go-to thing. Yeah. Like I, I see myself as a writer before I see myself as a trans person. I see myself as a creator and an artist, but so much more often than that, 
being trans is what sticks in people's mind and is the label that comes before that. We hope you enjoyed listening to our first live show, directed by Janet Lala Hamblin, edited by Ben Greenland. The script was edited by Millie Hall, and music was provided by the Spokes House Band. Stay tuned next Tuesday for Episode 2, The Ignoble Groom.